You're listening to City Church. Right, all right, all right. You guys ready to dig into the scriptures? Good. Psalm 42. If you have a Bible, you can go there. Psalm 42. Let's uh, jump right into the scriptures today. And uh, let's believe God's going to really speak to us. Last week, we started a series called I Found Joy. And uh, were you blessed by last week? I, I really was encouraged. You know, um, personally, I've been really working hard this week by grace to treasure and trust Jesus. Hopefully for you, um, the, uh, the little card we handed out, we also posted online. Hopefully you're using that. I know personally, I've been processing uh, the truth of the treasure of Christ and trust in Christ. I'm not doing gang signs. That's just how my hand is today, okay? Uh, <laughs> treasuring Christ and trusting Christ. It's going to be four to six weeks, though, you know? Might as well laugh about it. Uh, and so, um, and so I encourage you, um, if you have not been doing that, make sure that you, uh, that you take some time over the next couple of weeks to really begin to learn to find joy. And so we talked about this process of treasuring Jesus and trusting Jesus, and, uh, and hopefully that was encouraging to you. We're going to build on top of that this week, and, uh, and I think God's really going to speak to you in a profound way. I know that He's been speaking to me in a really profound way as I've been studying this topic of joy. And so if you have a Bible, you can go to Psalm chapter 30, uh, 42. Excuse me. I'm just going to read really one verse, um, verse 5 and, and a little bit of verse 6. You ready? Here we go. We'll read two scriptures, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One more time. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Um, you can uh, flip over now to Romans chapter 15. That first one we just read was uh, part of the Psalms. If you're new to the Bible, that is the songbook of the scripture. And so that was written as a song or a poem to honor and glorify God. And so um, that was the first one. The second one we're going to read now is in Romans. This is a little tiny section of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And so he's kind of wrapping up the letter and he prays for them. And he says this in verse 13 of chapter 15. Stay with me here today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. One more time, just look at it with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. God, we honor you today, and we honor your word. Um, we have the conviction that these words are not written by men, but written by the inspiration of God. And so as we pause and consider them, we believe that they're life for us. We believe that in a crazy world with a million opinions, uh, your truth can cut through and change us forever. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you do something supernatural this morning. We did not gather here just to deal with natural means, but we gathered here for an encounter with the Spirit of God. And so I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that um, we would encounter your presence and your spirit. We welcome you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple months ago, I got a new car, um, not brand new, brand new, but new to me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you have to do when you go to, you know, you get a car, maybe you know this, you know about cars. Um, there's all types of stuff that has to get done so that you can legally drive that car, right? And so one of the places you need to go that really the state of Connecticut has made it so um, it's really difficult if you don't go, you have to go. If it's your car, you have to go. You can't send a friend, you can't send your mom. You have to go to register the vehicle at the yes the demonic manifestation of vengeance the dmv 
right? Now, if you love the DMV and you're all passionate, maybe you work there, God bless you. He hasn't blessed you as much as he's blessed me. I don't work there, but it's a tough gig. It's a tough place to be. It's, it's a challenge. And so just a couple months ago when I went to register my car, I got there super early because, you know, we all have our own strategies with the DMV. You know what I'm saying? If you have your, everybody, you talk to anybody, it's like, oh, dude, you can't go on Tuesday. You got to go on Thursday. You know, every, oh, you can't go at 12. You got to go at two. Everybody has their own little strategy. My strategy was get there early. And so I got there really early for me, probably about 20 minutes earlier than they opened. And you know, there was already like 300 people in the line for the DMV. So I was like, oh man, I'm here early and everybody else is here early too. And so I get there and I'm waiting in line and you know, you go through that line and then you get inside and you go to another line and then you go and you wait in that long line. And then they give you a number so that you can go up to the desk, right? So you've already been there nine hours, you know, and, and you're waiting. And I finally go up to the desk and I give all my paperwork to the lady and I'm pretty specific. I try to get all my stuff in order, you know, before so that I can get in, get out. One shot, one kill. Get out of there. I do not want to go back to the DMV. And so I'm, I give all my paperwork to her and, and, and she looks at it. She says, where's your emissions test? I'm like, my emissions what? And she, you know, the, the laws in Connecticut have changed about emissions testing so many times. And so now obviously, you know, you need to, I hadn't registered a vehicle in a while. I didn't realize I needed to have an emissions test before I walked in the door, even though I don't have license plates yet. So I don't know how that's supposed to work. So you want me to illegally drive my car to a, an emissions place and then get back and hopefully not get caught so I can give you the test. Is that how this works? Yes, basically that's how it works. So you didn't hear that for me. But so now I'm like, I don't have an emissions test. She's like, well, you're going to have to, worst two words I ever heard, come back. Back. You're going to have to come back. And I'm like, oh, fine, fine. I'll come back. Just, just give me a temporary plate at least. Then she goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. And now she's enjoying herself. You know, she's like, hold on, hold on. Um, there was a lien on this vehicle. They had a loan on this car in the past. The previous owner had a lien on the vehicle. And I don't have the paperwork to verify that that lien was paid off. And so I'm like, okay, all right. Let me look at my paperwork. And I find this piece of paper that's stamped that says the loan was paid off. So I'm like, ha ha. Here you go, lady. I found what you wanted. And she looks at me, she goes, no, 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 no. I need a letter. This is spiritual. You got to get that. I need a letter from the bank of the previous lien holder that the letter, that it's paid off. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't need that. You just hate me. All right, fine. So I sit down. She gives me a little number so I can back up to the front. You know, I sit down and I call Kansas. And of course, you know, everybody saved in Kansas. And so this lady was very nice that was on the phone, much nicer than the New Englanders. And I said, lady, maybe not everybody. All right, don't quote me on that. And so every, I'm like, excuse me, I'm sorry. I need this letter. I know this is awkward. Forgive me, but she's like, oh, no problem. I'll pull up the archive. And so she pulls it up. She says, yeah, I can send you a letter. What's the fax number? So I hustle up to the front again, back and forth, bored, every time waiting more and more and more. It's now been, I don't know, seven or eight days. I'm living off the hot dogs in the back. My beard's growing long. And I say to the lady, you know, can I, um, can I have the fax number? She says, oh, sure. She gives me the fax number. I thought it was a little weird because it was an 860 number, but I thought, hey, whatever. It's all good. And so I give the lady the fax number. She faxes it. It doesn't come through. I wait a little longer. It doesn't come through. I call Kansas again. It doesn't come through. Finally, I go up to her and I say, is this the fax? And she goes, oh, the lady at the DMV, oh, I gave you the wrong number. I'm like, it's fine, no problem. And so, and so, and then I get the lady from Kansas to email it to me. Of course, it gets buried in the archives of my, sca my spam somewhere, and I can't find it, and it never shows up in my email. And so now I can't get it. Finally, they faxed it through. And she says, well, you're still going to have to come back because you don't have your admission. So I get it all worked out. I figure it all out in the end. I come back a second day. I know you all came to church to hear my story. So I come back a second day, and now it's like gloves are off. You know, like I already punched one guy, you know, like, um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I didn't punch anybody. 
Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I mean, there's, I'm in fight mode. You know what I mean? I'm like, listen, I'm going to leave here with license plates if I have to jump over that desk and take. I'm like, I am going to get myself some license plates. And so I get in there, and I'm ready to go, and I wait in the line again, and I finally get up to the front, and it's a different lady this time, and I've got all my stuff, and I lay it out, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, here, it's all here. I know it's all here. Just take all my stuff. Just give me some license plates. Here it all is. You know, and I'm, I'm just like, and she's like, she looks at me, and she stops, and she smiles at me, and I'm like, no, no smiles right now. I just need to get my license plate. And she says, are you the pastor at City Church? <laughs> I said, no. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I said, I said, praise the Lord, yes, I am. I said, yeah, I am the pastor at City Church, and we had a wonderful Christian conversation. You ever notice your propensity toward pessimism? You have a propensity towards pessimism. We all do. You have a bent towards pessimism. I don't care how optimistic you are. You have this deep bent towards pessimism. Uh, psychologists call it a negativity bias. It's a psychological phenomenon by which humans have a greater recall of unpleasant memories compared to positive memories. They have studied this in numerous different ways. It's embedded in our language. The English language um, study shows that um, for words that express emotion, 62% of those words are negative as opposed to 32% that are positive. 74% of all available words to describe personality traits are negative. And some of us are listening to those stats right now and go, I don't believe that. 80% of stats are made up. See, there's your negativity bias right there. You're not believing. And so there's something inside all of us that just have this thing towards negativity, even if you're positive. And every one of us, I would propose, has at one time woken up and asked the same question that the psalmist asked in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Like, why did I wake up grumpy this morning? Do we have any non-morning people in the room? Let me see, non-morning people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us. And, and, you know, you wake up, you're like, why am I downcast? Was it, you know, the pizza I ate yesterday? Or was it, you know, something somebody said to me? Or was it a weird dream I had? What's going on inside of me that just doesn't feel right? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's impossible, yes, I said impossible, to manufacture joy. You can't just will yourself joyful. You, it's fake. You can't do it. You can't make yourself feel joyful. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, the Scripture says, is joy. And so it comes from the Holy Spirit, specifically Christian joy, true joy. This genuine, spontaneous, emotional response is not something that we can will ourselves into. However, at the same time, the Scripture commands us to be joyful. So think about the tension here. In one hand, you cannot will yourself to be joyful. And in the other hand, you are commanded, rejoice. So how can you obey the command of God if you can't manufacture joy? Well, a lot of people, uh, especially Christians, fake it, right? How you doing? I'm filled with joy. <laughs> no, you're not. I know, but I'm supposed to be. So in Romans chapter 15, we see this tension between hope and joy, this relationship. And I want to examine it today because it's going to unlock for us a mystery about how we develop joy. In Romans chapter 15, the passage I read, that little prayer, um, I want to look at it for a second. Now, hope, stay with this idea, hope is the expectation of good. That's hope. I expect good, okay? That's hope, the expectation of good. So look at verse 13 with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's a revelation here. May the God of hope. So first thing we have to realize is that God calls himself the God of hope. What does he mean by that? 
He means that the God that we worship, the Christian God, the God explained in scripture is actually the founder and author and designer and creator of hope. He is the one that births in people's heart a true, genuine expectation of good. So you may find it in this or find it in that and hope in a job or hope in a family member or hope in the future and all of those things. But if you really want to get down to the bones of hope, you've got to start with the author of hope, the God of hope, right? And so the God of hope is where we start. Now, hold on a second. The scripture just before this gives us a hint as to how we uncover or understand the God of hope. Back up to verse 4 in chapter 15 of Romans. Look what it says. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through, the endur- through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have might have hope. Yeah. And so hold on a second. What we see here is that we learn about God primarily in starting with the scriptures. So in other words, the scriptures describe a God that's different from the one that we naturally think exists because you have a negativity bias. And so you think God's far away. You think God's distant. You think God doesn't care. You think God's not for you. And yet scripture's got thousands of years of history of a God who describes himself very differently, right? And so we find in the scripture, a God who's holy without any sin, without any imperfection, a God who is just. He is the definition of justice, a God who loves humanity to such a degree that he would strap on human flesh, become our representative and sacrifice his very own son in our place. He came to rescue us. This is the description of the God of hope. And so as we begin to see the God of hope and we begin to see him for who he is, not for who we thought he was, as that happens inside of us, hope is born on the inside of the believer. And so hope starts to stir. It starts to come alive. This hope starts to grow. And now the process outlined in Romans 15 is that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So stay with this idea. It begins with hope, and then you start to believe. Your hope becomes solidified. It becomes strengthened. It becomes stronger. Starting with an expectation of good, that's hope. I expect God to do good towards me rather than evil. And that hope starts to solidify. I believe it. I believe it's true. And then out of that belief comes joy and peace, right? Okay, so this is good news. We're starting to see how we can potentially experience more joy. Look what Matthew Henry says, one of the uh, great commentators of the Bible. He said this about this passage. He said, the joy and peace of believers arise chiefly from their hopes. Okay, what is laid out upon them is but little compared to what is laid up for them. Therefore, the more hope they have, the more joy and peace they have. Christians should desire and labor after an abundance of hope. Okay, and so in other words, hope starts to grow inside of us. But this passage is, uh, is to me a lot like a National Treasure movie. You ever seen National Treasure? Let me see your hand. National Treasure, Nick Cage. Come on, there's got to be a few of us. Yes, okay, good. All right, so if you know the movie, you know that, you know, every single time in National Treasure, they find the treasure because it's National Treasure. It'd be kind of lame if they didn't. And so they find the treasure, and it's amazing. It's these breathtaking moments, right? And you're like, wow, look at all this treasure. This is incredible. And they're celebrating, and they're happy. And then, you know, inevitably what happens is they're all pumped, and they're all excited, and then they realize, hey, What's that door go to? And then they open the door, and then it's like, boom, a treasure that's like 20 times bigger than the treasure they just found. And it's like, no, 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 wow, you know, the treasure's so much greater, so much larger. And so the first treasure they had pales in comparison to the even greater treasure that they see beyond it. That's what this verse says to me, because the verse isn't over yet. We just saw that it begins with an author of hope. God. And then God births in us this belief, right? And this belief leads to joy and peace, but that's not the end of the verse. Look at it again with me. We'll read the whole thing. May the God of hope fill you. You all doing so far? Okay? Okay? You stay with me? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope 
Now, I thought it was a typo when I first read it. Because I was like, no, no, we started with hope. Why would we end with hope? I thought, we were gonna, I thought it would say you may abound in joy, you know, because that was kind of the thing. You filled me with joy, so you may abound in joy, good to go, right? But what he's showing here is the cyclical reality, this compounding effect of hope. It begins with the God of hope. Check this out. And then your hope is founded where? In the scripture, that God really does love you, that what the scripture says about this God is actually true. And you commit to that, and that becomes belief inside of you. Faith starts to grow. And as you have confidence, you begin to treasure and trust Christ, like we looked at last week, right? And as that treasuring and trusting of Christ grows, now you experience real joy. It's spontaneous. It's powerful. It comes out of your life. You didn't generate it. Instead, you grew in hope and in faith. And so now joy comes. But then the scripture says, once you've experienced that joy, now you you don't just have the truth of the scripture. You also have the personal experience of joy. And because you now have the hope of the scripture and the life experience of joy, you have the hope that comes from that and a new hope that comes from the experience you've just had of joy. So now your hope can grow on top of the hope of the scriptures and the joy you've experienced. So now hope of the scriptures with faith turns into joy. That joy expands your capacity to hope and that new hope births new joy. And now the new joy expands and your experience says, wow, God really does care about me. He really is for me. He really does love me. This is amazing. I can hope for even greater things, which increases my joy once again. And so now hope builds on joy, which builds on hope, which builds on joy, which builds on hope. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great church fathers, said this, if he did not intend, that's God, did not intend to bless me in the future, he would not have done so much for me in the past. And he could not and would not be doing so much for me now. The hope you perceive drinks its life at the fountain of personal experience. The first hope we ever know comes together with our simply believing the word of God. That's where it starts. We believe the word of God. But now there arises in us an abounding of hope, which is the outgrowth of the inward life. The hope grows on top of new joy, which grows on top of new hope. And so what's the answer to Psalm 42, why are you downcast on my soul? Don't miss this today. I can't generate joy, Justin. I can't make myself feel happy. There is something you can do by the Spirit. Why are you downcast on my soul? Hope in God. If you want to mature in joy, grow your hope. Grow your hope. Go ahead and touch somebody near you. Just tell them, grow your hope. Put your hand on their shoulder. Do it together. Come on. It'll be fun. Grow your hope. Put your hand on their shoulder. Just say, grow your hope. Just tell them today. Encourage their heart a little bit. Grow your hope. Grow your expectation of good things. This is within your control by the Spirit. Grow your expectation of good things, and in that expectation, your growth and hope will expand, and in growing your hope, you'll experience the fruit of joy. Let me try to break it down to you like this. I heard one preacher say it like this. Hope is like a tree, okay? Hope is like a tree that, uh, that grows in the soil of the gospel. And so the good news of Christ, it begins with the fact that God loves you, that he has died on the cross for your sins, the truth of the gospel and grace. That's the soil. And out of that soil breaks out hope, right? And this would be the moment of regeneration. I believe God loves me. I'm born again, right? And so you're born again to a living hope. You break out of the soil of the gospel, and now you find the tree of hope is starting to grow, right? And the tree begins and continues to grow, nourished on the nutrients of God's word. And so the, the hope of your life starts to grow out of the soil of the good news of Christ. And that hope grows and grows and grows. And as it grows, the branches stretch out. That's not a gang sign. That's just the way my hand looks right now. The, the branches stretch out, and on those branches hang the fruit of joy. 
In other words, no farmer ever said, hey, I'm going to grow some apples. You can't grow apples. You have no capacity to grow apples, but you can plant apple trees. And if you would grow apple trees, the apples will naturally come off of the tree. In other words, what I'm saying to you is you cannot grow joy. You don't have the capacity to will yourself to be happy, happy all the time. But what you can do is you can intentionally, by the Spirit, expand your hopes. And as you grow your hopes, your tree of hope will begin to develop, and you'll find the fruit of joy coming out of your life. This is enough to make you happy. You should be happier than this. You can grow your hope by the Spirit. So how do you grow your hope? That's what I want to look at for the next few minutes today. I want to give you three ways to encourage you to grow your hope. Because as we go on this journey together, I found joy. The, the desire of this journey is that we don't just hear nice things that make us happy, but we learn at a new level to live happy. If you're going to live based upon your circumstance, this person's healthy, this person's sick, this thing came through, this didn't come through, this money came in, this money never came in, this house came through, this house fell apart, on and on and on, you will forever live like this, never knowing joy. But the scripture describes something very different, a concrete, consistent satisfaction inwardly that stems from a right relationship with God. And it begins with the hope that God really does care about you, that he really is for you, that God is not against you but he's reaching out his hands to be reconciled to you. And as you believe that conviction, that hope starts to grow and that hope becomes confidence and faith and that faith becomes joy. Treasuring Christ, trusting Christ, the fruit of joy. Let me give you three ways to encourage you to grow your hope. You ready? I want to encourage you to write these down. Write these down so that you don't forget them and we can actually do it. Number one, number one, I want to encourage you to longer. Chew longer. Chew longer. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 15. It says, your words were found. This is Jeremiah speaking to uh, the Lord. Your words were found and I ate them. That's kind of a weird thing to say, right? Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O, o Lord, God of hosts. See, what happens is Jeremiah describes encountering the truth of God's word like you do when you eat food. He's chewing on it. He's marinating it. He's crockpotting it. He's chewing longer. For all of us that own cows, we know that a cow chews about eight hours a day. That's a lot of chewing. And many of you guys know, maybe you've heard this, that the system or the process by which a cow goes through to chew his food, right? He eats the grass and he chews it up in his mouth and some of the nutrients go into his body. Goats do this as well. There's some other animals do this. And then he swallows it, goes down his esophagus, into his stomach. It mixes with all the acids of his stomach and that those acids break it down and soften it. And then he kicks it back up into his mouth. Isn't that awesome? And he chews on it a little bit longer. And then as he's chewing on it a little bit longer, all the nutrients get into his body and then he swallows it again. And that's how he integrates all those nutrients into his body. It's this consistent, habitual chewing. Look what Psalm 63 says. It says, my soul, this is uh, David writing to God, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When? When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. See, David paints this picture of himself and he just says, you know what? I'm going to hang out here. 
I'm going to chew on this thing. I'm going to chew on this thing. I've experienced this personally. When you chew on the truth of God's word, some of us have personally never opened the book. And you don't, listen, we have one for you, by the way, at the welcome table for free. Same one we use up here every Sunday. I encourage you to take it. It's free. And begin to chew on what God says in the promises of his word. Because what you'll find is your hope will start to grow. And that hope will become belief. And that belief will bear the fruit of joy. Personally, um, I remember when we first started the church just three years ago. We were three years last week. Very excited about that. Uh, but three years ago when we started the church here at City Church, I, uh, I remember coming and, and, you know, there was just a few of us and we didn't know what was going to happen. And so all my personal insecurities started to grow. You know, like, is anybody going to come? Is anybody going to want to be part of this church? Are we going to be here by ourselves for the rest of our lives? Am I going to die with 20 people in a church 45 years from now? You know, like, what is going to happen? And I remember, you know, being right here. And, and having people be here, and I would be out in the lobby just saying hi to people at the end, and I would be like, hi, you know, how are you? My name's Justin. I'll give you 20 or $30 if you come back next week. I mean, I'll give you 100 if you need to. You know, like, you know anything, um, you know, just trying to incur, you know, and there was this insecurity that started to grow in me. I never knew I had it before, and I started to experience this insecurity, like, what if people don't engage in this community of faith? And you know what I did? Immediately, by God's grace, I went to his word, and I started to chew on the truth of the fact that I must live to please God and not man. I began to chew on the fact that, you know what? I am not gonna try to deceive or manipulate anyone, but an open statement of the truth, I'm gonna declare my life to anyone's conscience in the sight of God for who we proclaim is Christ and not ourselves, right? I refuse to practice cunning. I began to meditate on all these verses. Why would I regard man in whose nostrils is breath? I need to regard the Lord. And little by little by little, it started breaking in my life and I chewed on the truth of God and no longer was I controlled by the opinions of people. Today, three years later, I don't care at all what you think. <laughs> Isn't that great? No, I mean, I, what I'm saying is God's grown in me to where that's not a struggle on a regular basis anymore. Why? Because I took the time to chew and to chew and to chew. What are you chewing on? When you take time to meditate upon the truth of God, actually applying it to your life on a consistent basis, what happens inside of you is that your hope grows. And as your hope grows, the fruit of joy comes out of your life. You catching this so far? You shouldn't just chew on God's word, though, which that should be your primary diet. You should also chew on God's faithfulness in your own personal life. See, if you walk through, you should have died of cancer that time. You should have died in that car accident. You should have died in that overdose. You should have never gotten into that school. You should have never married that girl. We all know you married up. You should have never done a lot of these things, and yet God has been faithful to you to show himself true in every different occasion throughout your life. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. Doesn't mean that your life's been easy, but when you reflect back on your life, you'll see that God was there even in the most difficult times. And what that does for you, just like Romans 15 says, you start with the joy and the hope that come from his word. But then as you experience the joy, you then compound your hopes based upon what you've already experienced. And so we see this with the people of Israel. After God parted the Jordan River, they took three or 12 big rocks out of the middle of the river and they stacked them up on the banks. Maybe you remember this if you've studied the Old Testament. And they stacked them up on the banks and said, hey, these are going to be what we call stones of remembrance. That way, every time we walk by, we see these big rocks and we go, wow, remember when God did that. Why is that important? Because you have a tendency to forget his faithfulness. Yes, you do. You must set up for yourself safeguards to chew on the past faithfulness of God. 
For years, I had a Bible where I took in the very front of my Bible, I drew a picture and I made a rock every time God did something profound in my life. I'd make a little rock and I'd write inside of it, this lady was healed of cancer when I prayed for her, a little rock. This lady came to Christ when I shared the gospel with her. This guy, you know, uh, was healed of some other issue. This person was delivered from addiction. And I would just make, you know, God was faithful and we were able to get a house. And I just, I made all these rocks. And so every week I would look back at those stones and I would reflect and remember, I still have a folder in my desk of all the promises God's spoken to me through the years. And I frequently go back and I recall and remember them. Why is this important? Because if you chew longer, your hope grows. Your hope grows. Some of us, you're downcast and you don't know why. And you say, Justin, I just don't know why I feel so dark. Friend, you can't make yourself feel happy, but you can, by the Spirit, expand your hope. And as you expand your hope, the fruit of that will be joy. Tracking so far? Good. Number two, you can write this one down. Second thing to encourage you to do, try this one out, sing more. Sing more. See, there's something about music that God created that unlocks your soul. Martin Luther once said that next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It's a profound reality what can happen in your heart when you sing. You might say, I stink at singing. That's fine. He doesn't even care. He just wants you to articulate with your mouth the truth of his word in song. Why is this so important? There's a lot of interesting, we could do a whole series on this. There's a lot of amazing things about the truth of singing. But one thing I just want to highlight for you briefly. Um, years ago, my wife and I were reading the, uh, the books by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. You ever read those? Let me see your hand. Some of us maybe seen the movie. Yeah, okay. And so we were reading one of the earlier books, and there's this scene where Narnia, this fanciful world that kind of uh, it, it models um, life and earth, and there's all these allegorical meanings to this. Well, we're not going to get into all of them, but, but one of the things that happens in the book is it, it describes creation. And so the whole world is dark, and then the creation of this land takes place. And there's a few people witnessing it. And this is what they see. I just want to read a little clip from it. It says, the darkness, in the darkness, something happened at last. A voice began to sing. It seemed to come from all directions at once. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth itself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was beyond comparison the most beautiful noise they had ever heard. It was so beautiful they could hardly bear it. In other words, what he's describing is that the creation of the earth, and as you go on in the story, you find that the lion who represents Christ, the Christ figure, is singing the world into existence. Isn't that an amazing idea? Now, I can't prove to you scripturally that God sang, let there be light, but I think he did. I really think that God sang the world into existence. Look at what Zephaniah says in the Old Testament about God. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with, what are those next two words? Loud singing. That's why we give you earplugs. Loud singing. Which won't be more like Jesus, that's all. Loud singing. God's loud. He's singing over you right now. That's how the scripture describes him. Singing over you. So why is that so important for us to do? Because frequently in scripture, he commands us, I want you to sing back. I want you to sing back to me. And what happens, and I've experienced this personally, and maybe you have too, when you begin to articulate verbally the goodness and the truth of God, you begin to sing your hope back to God. Something inside of your heart changes, and there's this realignment of the heart when you declare it with your lips in song. And so one of the fastest ways to grow your hope, I think of it like the arteries of hope are all clogged up and you take some time to sing it back to God and all of a sudden they kind of get cleaned out and there's a straight line and now hope can flow through you easily and as it does, your hope abounds and so does your joy. 
Come on, you ever sang yourself happy before? I have. I've sang myself happy before, and there's times in your life that you must open your mouth and articulate the goodness of God to him when you don't feel it. Sing louder and longer. Chew more. Number three. Give me three, three things. Three things. Here's a third encouragement to help you grow your hope. This one's a little bit counterintuitive, but stay with me. Number three, invest deeply in others. Invest deeply in others. You think, well, why? hold on a second. I wanted to grow my joy. I wasn't worried about others. How could I? What does that, what do you mean? Well, if you notice, Romans 15 is actually a prayer. Paul is praying this over the church in Rome. He's praying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, right? So he's praying this prayer to them. And why is he doing that? Well, he serves as an example for us. See, Paul has experienced a deep satisfaction that comes from God. His satisfaction is coming from Christ. And in that satisfaction, it leads to to having the capacity to rightly love others. Since he's satisfied in Christ, he's not dependent upon the satisfaction of others. And so now, out of his fullness that he's experienced in Christ, he can now pray and love and serve others. And as he serves others, his hope expands because as he invests, as, you know, I invest in Kaivon or I invest in Joe or I invest in Stephanie, as we invest in one another, I expand in hope because my expectation of good you know I just taught that person how to study the scripture I expect them to begin to do it and my hope is that as they do it they experience more of God's life and as they experience more of God's life I experience the joy of seeing them experience his life and so by investing in others I compound my joy on top of joy See, Paul talks about this all the time. John, one of the best friends of Jesus, speaks about it in one of his letters. Check it out. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, when I see the people that I've invested in growing in their faith, it's one of the greatest joys of my life. I would propose to you today that some of us in the room don't know joy because you don't chew longer, you don't sing more, and you don't invest in others. And I want to encourage you. You can't grow your joy, but you can, by the Spirit, expand your hope. And as you expand your expectation of good, you will experience the joy of the Lord. You'll experience the joy of the Lord. So I think we should practice. Ben, if you want to come out, we're going to sing a little bit in just a second. I want to speak to somebody here today, though. If you're here this morning... And the truth is you've been chewing on rocks, not the grace of God. You've been chewing on an offense. You've been chewing on a frustration. Why did this person get the promotion? Why did this opportunity close? Why do I find myself here? I thought I would have accomplished more. I thought I would have saved more. I thought I would have done more. Why did this person leave? Why did this person pass away? And you've been chewing on that. And it's okay to mourn. We'll talk about that next week. Talk about suffering. It's going to be important. Don't miss that one. Bring 30 to 40 of your friends. But if you've been chewing on that so long, I want to encourage you. Try chewing on something else. might be time to spit that bitterness out. might be time to spit that offense out. And instead, take some time to chew on God's faithfulness. God works all things together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Boy, that'll preach. You could live on that one for your whole life. It's a promise. It's a promise. 
if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how, how will he not with him freely give us all things? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who to condemn? See, you begin to live on these things. I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. Hope, hope, hope starts to grow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will faithfully strengthen me and protect me from the evil one. No temptation will overtake me beyond what I can bear, but with temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that I may be able to endure it. Hope, hope, hope. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in this life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Hope, hope, hope hope and as your hope expands and then you see it come true joy comes out and now you hope not just in his word but in your experience as well which unlocks more joy which unlocks more hope which unlocks more joy it's time to start chewing on something different Would you stand with me today God wants to do something in your heart right now I'm telling you you didn't just come here for a nice talk and a welcome card God wants to do something in your heart right now, friend. I sense the Spirit of God here. Why not now? An opportunity for encounter with the Spirit of Jesus. I know you've been carrying that thing. Why not right? Don't let me get in the way. Don't let the song get in the way. Don't let the atmosphere get in the way. This is you and God. Right now is a moment of divine encounter between the two of you. You see, the Scripture's packed with stories that are hopeless. Abraham, he can't have a kid. He's too old. David, he's never going to get his kingdom back after he lost it to his son. Joseph, he's supposed to be ruling. He's in a prison. Peter, he denied Jesus. That's pretty hopeless. Every single one of them encountered the God of hope. And that changed everything. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. I can't pay the bills. I can't figure out how to do this. I can't win my relationship back. I can't get my job back. My kids are off the rails. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Would all of us together right now, would you just lift up your hands with me? I think the Spirit of God wants to touch your life. We lift up our hands as a physical sign of surrender to God. Okay, it's not because we're from some denomination or not from some, it doesn't matter. We just want to lift our hands as a sign of submission. So God, right now, with lifted hands, I pray that you would jump in to the sea of our pain Jump into the sea of our bitterness. Lord, I pray right now by the power of the Spirit that you would jump into the ocean of our alienation and our feelings of aloneness and our feelings of rejection. God, I pray that you jump in right now and turn that water that we're drowning in into wine of celebration. I pray that right now in Jesus' name that you would come, that the Spirit of Jesus would come and that right now, by a work of the Spirit, you would anoint us to abound in hope God, we're going to sing today, you satisfy my soul with your love. I pray that right now we would experientially encounter that reality. God, for the person that's battling depression, for the person that's mourning and grieving, for the person that is hurting from loss, for the person that doesn't have answers, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, an abounding of hope that all discouragement would be swallowed in the reality of your love, that all discouragement would be broken in the hope of Christ in us, this hope of glory. Lord, your word says, God, 
God that we are strengthened by hope that the, and strengthened by joy, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I pray right now that you release that divine strength upon us as we sing more in Jesus' name. We lift you up right now. We lift you up right now in the name of Jesus. We love you, God. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.